Hello and welcome to another episode of Total Reboot New Release Reviews. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos and to join me to talk in the latest animation from Pixar Entertainment, a subsidiary company of Disney Animated Studios, I'm joined by one of my favourite people to talk about the tunes with, their writer, a DJ, chef, a pop culture aficionado and the host of Hey Fam. Please welcome to the podcast one of my dearest mates, Andrew Levins. Ah, Alexi, you've got me turning red with embarrassment. I'm really excited to bring you on the pod to talk about this movie because not only are you one of my favorite people to talk about animation with, I'm really interested in knowing because you're a father, you've got two young kids, Mm -hmm. are Pixar films that you enjoy watching with your family as well? So I guess like when I had kids, when I first uh, brought them into this world, I spent like a lot of their early life, you know, like... I was already a big dork who loved Disney movies, Pixar movies, you know, anime, Ghibli, all that kind of stuff. And just very excited for the day that would come when we could start watching movies together. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, I took all my, both my kids to, to movies before they were even two years old and experimenting with that. You know, how long were they going to last? How many yeah. choc tops do we need to eat so they <laughs> stay seated for 90 minutes? Um, and I have uh, the unfortunate news that if you are a regular listener of HeyFam, you'd be very aware of this. Uh, my kids don't like movies. Wow. I knew Archie didn't, but I didn't know Tilly as well. They're not cinephiles. My well, lord. Uh, Tilly used to love movies. She mm-hmm. and I could, we watched all of the, like, the classic uh, Disney princess sagas um when she was three and four but she looks up to her brother so much and my son doesn't deal with uh emotions very well uh so pixar movies in particular are just like heavy on emotions just like yeah like especially like i feel like turning red he would probably love because a lot of that is dealing with like you know how to deal with your emotions but for every like lesson he would learn he it would just be undone by how scared and anxious he'd get when the characters going to have to deal with like getting angry at their parents. And then I have like, yeah, Tilly, my five-year-old who is just a little copycat of everything Archie does. (laughs) So she saw him freaking out about movies and now she decided that she hates them too. (laughs) (laughs) My God. Well, at least they've got TV shows and magazines and games, man. They've got two, two gamer kids. We love gamer kids. That's awesome. Big manga heads reading (laughs) lots of comics. It's great. But yeah, movies just, they can't do. Well, we're talking about Turning Red on the podcast today. It is the feature film directorial debut of Domi Shi, the first solo feature film to be directed by a female filmmaker at Pixar. And of course, she previously directed and wrote the Oscar-winning short film Bow that played before The Incredibles 2. I loved that short film. So much better than The Incredibles 2. I mean, I like Incredibles 2 as well, but that short film is like one of my favorite short films in the last few years, I'd say. Yeah, it's a banger. So, I have been very much looking forward to Turning Red finally coming out. In this film, we have a 13-year-old girl who is torn between being her mother's obedient daughter and the spontaneity of youth. Of course, things take a turn for the delightfully strange when she discovers a family secret. When the women in her family get too excited, they turn into big red pandas. And our hero, May, has just reached that age where a change in her life where she starts to turn Red. Let's have a listen to the trailer. I'm Maylin Lee. I wear what I want, say what I want. I'm all about the hustle and any strong emotion. Uh, May, why are you staring at Carter Murphy Mayhew? We'll release the panda. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. So a film about pop 
culture-obsessed teens in the early 2000s. I've got a feeling this may have connected with the 11s. Am I right? Yeah, I think I'm maybe the same age as Domishi. Um, I'll, I'll look that up to clarify, but I was born in 85. So, uh, my, my most formative years are the early 2000s. Um, she was born in 87, so she's two years, two years younger than me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I was, I was there for the, the boy band wave and I have a very close connection to boy bands because, uh, I've toured with a lot of them, uh, as, as their DJ, um, during a lot of their kind of like reunion tours in Australia, uh, in the, the pre COVID years. So I have a fondness for it and, and I, Obviously, there's a lot, a lot bigger issues this film tackles, but I loved it. This movie, I feel like we've seen boy bands in like Simpsons episodes mm-hmm. and like you know boy band riffs in like DreamWorks animated movies before, and they just do every single joke at the boy band's expense. It's just mm. kind of like, huh, how dumb are boy bands? How dumb is pop music? Um, but besides that one little joke early on where the girls only know. Um, lots of facts about three of the members, and then there's just the two other guys. Um, I think that's 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 very true of many like pop groups where nobody like no one knows anything about Joey Fatone from from NSYNC. You know what I mean? There's always that one guy that's just in the group, and good for them. Um, but I, I loved that this movie was very pro boy band and didn't really like didn't see the kids as as lesser for for loving this very you know glitzy poppy thing obviously the parents don't understand but it was it was very like i don't know supportive of of just indulging in your in your the things that you love i love i think that's so on point because you know we're at this phase now where films are being made by people that are around our age and people that have like people that grew up loving the pop culture of that era and being obsessed and being kind of completely all-encompassed by it. We're seeing all these things that were considered lightweight now being transformed and having, like, the emotional depth that people had for them at that time being transformed into, like, really moving pieces. And I think the kind of the greatest thing about Turning Red is that it captures this thing that we think about when we talk about cinema, which is like the idea of specificity being universal. And especially when we talk about coming of age films, the more specific you get, I feel like the more universal it feels and the more it resonates with people. And seeing this film that is set in like the early 2000s, that's around the time that I was coming of age myself. And then seeing it Mm -hmm. be set in a, in Toronto, which we're so used to seeing as a city that is... Posing as Los Angeles. Posing as Los Angeles, posing as New York City, much like our own hometown of Sydney often poses for those. To see it be kind of like animated so beautifully to be uniquely itself, I think it just captures so much of what it feels like to be just a young person going through the changes of life and to have that change be completely anthropomorphized into turning into a big red panda it still really hit like so beautifully close to home with like the feelings of coming of age yeah i think we've we've seen so many movies about what it's like to be a parent that pixar mm-hmm. has made like i feel like you know yes. almost every one of those first 10 to 12 of their movies is about parenting in a way but this is like the first one this and Luca, it, it was just kind of like, this is what it's like to be a kid. And I think this is a really great companion piece to Luca, which I also loved. Um, did we talk about that together? I feel like that movie was the last time I did an episode with you. I can't remember. Maybe. Uh, we, I think we've talked about it in person, at least. 
but yeah, I loved Luca. And I, I, there, there's something so great about watching this, like, just like beautiful movie that's about like friendship and the stakes feel lower, like in terms of a blockbuster, but the, the stakes are very, you know, very high and personal to the main character. Um, and I, I felt like, yeah, like obviously Luca is a movie about boys, Turning Red is a movie about girls, but the two have a lot of really lovely similarities and I think feel very different to what everyone expects of like a big Pixar adventure movie. Mm, I think you're right. One thing that really touched me with this film as well is that so much of the passion that we're talking about for like boy bands and pop culture is infused into every aspect of this film, not just like the plot or the thematics. This has like a really unique look for a Pixar film. I feel like they've become so almost predictable to how they Pixar films look in the same way that like a DreamWorks film has like uh, like a a studio set aesthetic of like what these films should look like and where they kind of play with an idea of naturalistic, realistic takes of the world and then slightly exaggerated characters. I think here we're kind of still seeing the after effects of something so radical as uh, a radical push forward for American animation that we saw in Into the Spider-Verse. And then we kind of saw continue on with the Mitchells versus the Machines, where the pop aesthetic has really transcended like what a Pixar film should look like. And here, so much of this reminded me of stuff like Sailor Moon or like Card Captors, that yeah. era of early 2000s uh, anime and manga, and infusing it into a way that feels so like bubblegum pop and beautiful and so natural for what this film should be. And uh, yeah, the, the director like went on like was talking about her biggest influences for this movie, the overall style. And she uh, said, uh, "Rumiko Takahashi, who is one of my favorite manga uh, authors, who did um, Inuyasha and uh, Ramna." Um, she's awesome. Fruits Basket, another one, not by her, but another one that which really, which really influenced her. And then she also talked about like obviously. Uh, trying to create something as fluffy and cuddleable as uh, as Totoro in 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 her panda. Are you a werewolf? No. What? He's a red panda. Sick. You're so fluffy. You're so fluffy. I've always wanted a tail. Let's talk about the design of that panda because I think when I saw like the trailers for it. I think because it strayed a little bit further away from, like, the Pixar aesthetic, I almost was thinking, like, how is this going to fit into the movie? How is this going to feel cohesive? But I think one of the greatest things about that panda is that everybody is so charmed by how cute it is. Mm -hmm. I don't think I anticipated that where, like, so much of the... The conflict of this movie is about trying to fit in and uh, trying to find your place in this world as as all of these coming-of-age movies are. But for when May turns into this giant panda, for the people that usually do not really fit in with her to just be so accepting and loving it and seeing, like, this panda as the cutest thing in the world, just, I thought it was so sweet and so funny. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think one of my favorite early scenes in the movie is when um, the the two girls who aren't uh, Mei Mei's uh, friends see her, like, catch her out in the bathroom and they've realized that she's able to turn into a panda. And Mei is, like, terrified that they're going to, like, scream or go and tell someone, but they're just ecstatic to be around this big fluffy red creature that they want to give cuddles to. Yeah, it's so sweet. And I think it really hits onto that idea of this film being... 
about puberty and about the change that we go through. And I think one of the things that Pixar has done so well, and I often come back to like the case example of Inside Out being like a great idea of American surrealism, which is taking and distilling a complex idea and then finding a visual way to communicate it and then to communicate that to children. I feel like Turning Red is the perfect film for like young people, tweens, people entering their teen years to have the ideas of puberty be translated into a like a very simple, easy to understand visual metaphor for them to understand. And I think that, you know, it's been interesting seeing some of the response to this film in the last couple of days since it's been released and people thinking that it is too grown up for children to deal with that. It's like, are you serious? This is the kind of shit that kids need early on to understand that they're not freaking psychos who having <laughs> having a bodily meltdown. It's yep. so elegantly without ever like really spelling it out to you in like a obtuse way communicates the idea of like, yeah, we all can kind of become like this panda when we go through our puberty. Yeah, I, I loved it when uh, the panda, when she's in panda form and she sees Devin, her crush, and she, she's actually she actually says humana humana, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's excellent. Yeah, I, I loved that this is like a Pixar movie that deals with horniness. Mm-hmm. Um, very like you know, not something I thought I would like. You know, yeah. I, I, everyone's talking about how cool it is that they very candidly talk about like you know pads and periods. But I also like I love that this is a, a, a movie that lets its characters be horny and 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 is a. Is a Pixar movie. It feels so refreshing when we're seeing so much output from Disney feel so, like, sanitized for the masses and stuff. To have something that feels so specific and then so tenderly discuss, like... Yeah, this had more, like, romantic or even, like, sexual content than, like, any of the MCU movies. Yeah. These movies are so sexless. It's it's so <laughs> bizarre. And I think that's like why something like this is so necessary because we do need to normalize these things for young people. Like young people need to see what is happening in the world and it's great for it to be translated to something so sweet and so touching and so meaningful. One of the other things I found so meaningful and like I guess why I'm a sucker for this movie and like why I'm such a sucker for these kind of things is I think... I'm such a sucker for mother and daughter films or mother and son films, especially when there is like kind of like the migrant story attached to it, where you are torn between these two worlds. The idea of being finding your new world with your friends and being tied to this old world with like this great and deep history with your family. And I think that the family dynamic is really beautifully played here where we've got this mother who is still grappling with like the generational uh, tormenting she's had with her and conflict she's had with her own family, her own mother. And I think Sandra Oh's performance is just like a wonderfully, beautifully expressive vocal performance as well. I think that this this has some of the best acting a Pixar film has had in quite some time too. Yeah, and like I was speaking about this on HeyFam last night when Angus and I were talking about uh, Turning Red. Um, and I feel like, you know, Disney has had pretty hilarious uh, track records so far when it comes to attempting to make Asian-American-specific content. Um, I don't know if you've seen like Raya and the Lost Dragon, Shang-Chi, mm-hmm. um, the Mulan re- remake. Um, and this felt so genuine 
Um, and even though, like, I feel like, you know, the overbearing mother, obviously this movie is semi-autobiographical. So, you know, if the director had that kind of mother, then totally, like, it's valid character to have in this movie. But it is definitely becoming a trope. Yeah. Um, and it has been for, for a while. I think it's really well done in this movie. Um, I still think, like, my favorite take on that is um, The Farewell. Mm. Um, I think that that did a way more nuanced where, like, cause there's one moment in this movie where I was like, Okay, so the mum's a psychopath, the grandma's a psychopath, but the dad is like just this cool, chill guy. Yeah, I, 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 I thought that was an odd, like I don't know, I don't know like dad's a, a sick. I like am one, but I, I, it was an odd, just an odd thing to kind of to have communicated to me during the movie. Yeah, it's interesting that we do have like this current. Almost, I would say not a genre cycle, but finally like a uh, awakening of modern Chinese or Asian American filmmakers making films about their experience that feel really authentic. And I think that this kind of slots in nicely, especially in the terms of like specificity. Um, one thing I really did enjoy as well is like the sound of this movie. The, it has a really interesting score by Ludwig Göransson, who we know from the Creed movies, from Mandalorian. also Mandalorian and Black, Black Panther. Panther. Yeah. I think it's got a really you nice- got all the Atlanta like, stuff too, right? I think so, yeah. He's, like, kind of, like, the top new gun. I'd say one of the most, like, in-demand composers out there alongside people like Michael Giacchino and stuff. Mm. Um, I think that he brings, like, such a nice pop sensibility while still infusing it with kind of the more ethnical Chinese Asian influences into the soundtrack. Did you like the score for this film as well? I have to admit, I did not notice it. Which is funny because normally his scores really stand out to me. I definitely didn't notice anything I didn't like. I, I think, you know, that can maybe speaks to that it suited the movie so well. Um, I, I'm definitely going to rewatch it. Um, I probably will try and watch it with my kids soon. My wife definitely would like to watch it too. But I'll, this is what I mean, it's so short too. This is definitely a, yeah. a very breezy, breezy afternoon movie. Um, I also think it was overshadowed by the actual songs of Four Town, mm-hmm. the boy group in yes. this, uh, the boy band in, in, that they're all obsessed with. And those songs were written by Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas. And Phineas is actually um, one of the voices of one of the Four Town members alongside like two, I think like British boy band guys. Um, and I actually, I spent today listening to, um, they got a Chinese boy band to do the Ch- the Chinese versions of oh, the songs. Wow. And there's Japanese ones as well. Um, and uh, they're all pretty good. Uh, but yeah, I thought, I, I know I, I was amazed that like, you know, obviously like Billie Eilish is like half my age pretty much. Mm-hmm. And that she was able to absolutely nail the sound of like the sync Backstreet Boys era um, without sounding too British boy band, without mm-hmm. sounding too K-pop, because both of those things, they all sound similar, but there is a difference. Yes. Um, I was just amazed at how, how she just nailed the brief, like her and her brother Phineas. Just like those songs are genuinely good. And to have like so many heartfelt moments of this movie be built around her friends singing those songs to her, like, yeah, it has to be a, a song that can sound really good, like an overproduced boy band, but the melodies have to be something that the girls can sing, be immediately recognizable and not cringy while still being a little bit on the cringy side, but not bad. You know what I mean? And and I think like, yes, the, the, the songs that she wrote, especially that main one that they keep singing throughout, including that fantastic arrangement at the end where it, it becomes like, that should be the corniest thing in the world. But the big finale of this movie, where they're all where they're all singing together at the um at the stadium, is just such a fantastic finale. 
It's just like they get the idea and the feeling of those harmonies, right? And how much power there is in that, like that very typical 2000s, 90s era boy bands where those harmonies kind of like ascend and the power kind of like reaches that wall of sound quality in the harmonies. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's always a key change in the last 50 seconds of the song. Like, yeah, they, they, they really killed it. I loved, like, even, like, you know, the chant that the aunties and grandma are doing during the during the ceremony and the way it, it integrated together so well. And not not to mention the, like, you know, this, this movie goes, like, full kaiju battle at the end. And mm. in a way, we've never really seen... I guess Incredibles has fantastic action, but I loved this being, like, action that really led, lent into, like, shonen anime, like, mm-hmm. battle, big battle kind of superpowers. I mean, the, just short of, of Mei Mei, like, yelling out the name of her move before she does it. But yeah. I love the way that she was able to use movement by, like, transforming from the Red Panda version to herself. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, you know, the way she moved through the, through the air super fast while doing that was so cool. I'm, I'm very excited to watch this again. Yeah, me too. I think the one thing that I keep kind of coming back to with this film and why I found it so refreshing is once again, the, just the aesthetic of this film, the look of it is so different to what we're used to from this production company. Like the colors themselves are even different. The lighting, there's like this kind of beautiful overexposed quality to this kind of pastel colored city that they've brought around like it looks like candy but it looks so delicate as well yeah it it feels like that 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 late 90s early 2000s era of like magical girl anime um in the same way that luca felt like you know like european comic books um i i yeah i can't stop like even though the like thematically they actually are pretty similar but i just think that these it's such a i love that these two movies came one after the other like that's it Watching them both in the same... I hope that, like, we haven't even spoken about how annoying it is that, like, it's it's sick that everyone has access to this movie, but I feel so cheated that I wasn't able to watch this one in the cinema. I would love to have just seen this projected onto a big screen because those colours are so interesting. The look of this film is so interesting. It's almost like... It kind of reminds me of indie comics of that era as well like something like ghost world i think fits oh yeah so for sure. much yeah definitely well enid enid had gigantic teeth too yeah <laughs> enid would be great friends with me they've got to yeah, hang out sure. sometime and you know what you could do a double feature of luca and turning red and it would still be a small shorter running time than the batman <laughs> oh yeah that's how you gotta sell real tickets i reckon put these on back to back that would make it up to us disney please <laughs> let us give you give you our money <laughs> I want to see Luca in 40X and just get splashed <laughs> the entire time. And I want the 40X to capture the smell of a giant oh, yes. red panda because you know those guys stink. I've seen them at the zoo. They are very pungent creatures. So every time she turns into the panda, the whole the room fills with pink pink yeah. vapor. Is that meant to be stench? Because everyone's like, Whoa. What, kind of, what kind of smell do you reckon they have, there. like, a real musky scent, these red pandas. I remember seeing them at the zoo and just being like, oh, that's a bit of a pong. I mean, that's perfect for a teenager. It's the first time you truly stink in your life is when you're hitting that puberty Bruh, era. My, my son is eight and we had to give him deodorant at the start <laughs> wow, of the year. Yeah, that rocks, dude. <laughs> you never forget your first deodorant. What is he rocking these days? Oh, dude, I think that's the, the, I'm pretty sure the deodorant is, like, one made for kids and it's called, like, Cool Pits or something like that. <laughs> 
Well, it's safe to say that we both are big fans of Turning Red. I'm going to go on the record, Levens, and say that I really think that this is... I would actually rank it really highly as far as my later era Pixar films go. We're in the third decade of Pixar films. Mm. Pushing up into the freaking fourth decade of Pixar films as well now. And like, you know, we had we had a lot of movies for us. Me specifically, I grew up with three movies where the main like human character not only looked like me, but mm-hmm. also had my name. <laughs> uh, and and like I, I hate all of the criticism of this that it's like, oh, it's you can't I can't relate to this movie. I can't like it's it's, uh. it's yeah. It's so ridiculous. Though people that have that view, I think, uh, they don't know how to watch movies. They don't. They their brain has rotten. The parasites got into their head. They don't <laughs> know how to freaking watch movies anymore. If you if you find something being specific to another world to be not relatable by you, especially something so sweet and tender about like the universal experience of growing up, I'm gonna go on a record and say that I rank this ahead of Soul. I like this even yeah. more than Soul. I liked it more than Luca. Um, this might be my favorite of like the late new era of Pixar. I'm going to go ahead and give it a big old four out of five stars. Yeah, I would give it four out of five stars too. Um, I think I, I would still put Coco and maybe even Luca ahead of this one. Uh, but I'm sure if I rewatch Turning Red, especially like as my, I mean, that's the thing. My my rankings of all these movies is going to change drastically at when I finally get to watch them with my kids when they're like 25 or something, <laughs> <laughs> knowing their emotional levels now. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, I, I you know obviously grew up rewatching all those classic era Pixar movies, and I do love that like for kids growing up now, this is, becomes a classic era Pixar movie for them. You know, totally. Um, I definitely think this is like yeah of of the, all the movies since. Since Toy Story 3, my top three would be Coco, Luca, Turning Red. I hate that, like, off the back of this, because I was like, oh, man. So, I love, like, you know, this great, great, you know, run of Pixar movies. Like, I didn't love Soul, but, like, it was still, like, an interesting movie. Mm. Um, I think Pete Docter falls guilt, like, becomes more and more guilty of over-explaining in his movies as he makes more of them. Um, like, there's just such big info dumps of how his worlds work. Um, you know, from, like, in Monsters, Inc., it was just kind of, like, uh, people were watching an, an infomercial that explained how the Scream stuff works. And, it, you know, it's, it's just one of many things you learn at the beginning of the movie, but I swear they spent half an hour. Like, it felt like a, a long, long period of time explaining how the soul universe works. Yeah, totally. There are moments that feel like freaking lectures in those films. Yeah, yeah. Here, everything just feels so smoothly translated and just moves at such a beautiful pace. And there's no Tina, Tina Fey-esque character in this or Luca. It's just like these great young people. We haven't got like the comedic relief character. Everyone has their moments of, of humour. And I think that also allows for the film itself to be funny, like not to rely on our character to be like a relief and humorous character. Like the actual way that this film aesthetically is presented to you has so much humor in the actual animation itself. I feel like Pixar films often end up taking like their actual aesthetic so seriously that you lose the lightness that you're allowed to bring like of physicality of animation. Yeah. So I was kind of like off the back of this one like yeah like like I can't wait to see you know what 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 cool new story we get next and then the realization that the next Pixar movie is fucking light year. Oh, my God. And it looks so serious. I didn't realize it was a Pixar movie. I just thought it was a Disney movie just doing something with the Pixar stuff. But, like, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I get, I'm, I'm, like, happily surprised. But that just feels like such a gigantic step back. 
It feels like they may as well be making Cars 4. Well, I would rather see a movie about the air fresheners that live in the cars, much like we've got <laughs> <laughs> we've got the real people that inspire Buzz Lightyear, the toys that he's based on in the upcoming film Lightyear. I, that's, I think I agree with you there, that it feels like a weird step back into what they're doing. Like, oh, like, oh, Pixar's finally figured out how to make movies about humans. And then so someone up, like higher up was like, oh, that's right. So now we can go back and make the movies that weren't about humans about humans. And yeah. let's make light years. So. <laughs> well, Turning Red is available to stream on Disney Plus and other places you get your films, I think. I actually don't know if that's true. I think it's but, just uh, Disney Plus exclusive at this point. It might be Disney Plus exclusive. Check it out there. Uh, <laughs> in the meantime, if you want to hear more from Levens, you can head over to HeyFam and listen to the wonderful pop culture podcast you and our dear friend Angus Truscott do over there. Yeah, we did Turning Red this week, but to be honest, we spent more time, like significantly more time debating which continent has the worst food. Wow. And what was the outcome? I'm not telling you. You have to go listen to HeyFam for that. But hey, also, if you are a father or mother, uh, a parent like I am, and uh, looking for fun entertainment for your children, I'm also a a writer of a series of kids' books um, about a kid named Nelson. The books are called Nelson, and Nelson is a boy who refuses to eat vegetables, but one day he's forced to eat pumpkin, and he wakes up the next morning and has superpowers. And every single book is about a different vegetable and the different superpowers and and antics he gets up to. How many have you got so far in the series? Three. So there's there's, uh, pumpkin and aliens... There's broccoli and spies, and there's eggplant and dinosaurs, and they're all out through uh, Penguin um, in Australia, Penguin Books, and you can order them internationally via Book Depository or Amazon Prime. I'm going to put the link to the books in the show notes. Levens, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I freaking love you, brother. I love hanging out with you. I love talking cartoons with you so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that could be a new rule. Happy to join you whenever a new cartoon movie comes out. (laughs) Whenever we get a sick-ass cartoon, you know, Levin's Except Lightyear. (laughs) No, you have to come for Lightyear, Okay, I'll do Lightyear. And you better write your own freaking name at the bottom of your boot when we do it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you reckon he does that? At at some point, he just accidentally writes Andy on his boot. And they're like, what does that mean? (laughs) And then the audience of grown men start crying and the yeah, kids yeah. don't freaking get it at all. <laughs> Stay tuned later in the week on Total Reboot. We're going to be diving back into the Millennium Mindfuck miniseries where we are, in fact, extending the series. We had such a good response to this miniseries. We want to chuck out a few extra episodes. And this week, we're going to be discussing Peter Weird's awesome movie, The Truman Show. Oh, great movie. I haven't seen that since, since like, the same time that turning red is set <laughs> that's like a 2002 I, movie I, no, I think 98 98 oh, wow it feels like a 2000 <laughs>